You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Hold your breath, everyone. It's another exciting episode of the Apple Insider Podcast with William Gallagher and me. I'm holding my breath. I don't know. I'm conflicted now. Do I say hello? Do I hold my breath? What's going on? There's too much happening. Hi. Too many instructions for you to process, right? Frankly, yes. I I'm know. a serial kind of guy. That's what I am. Yes. But what kind of cereal? Hot cereal? Cold cereal? At least you didn't go the killer route, which I thought might be foremost on your mind. But yes. Um, Can't say I didn't think of it, but I know you. Okay. Right. So I've got away with that. Um, anyway, that's a word that crosses my mind a lot when we talk at the start of these shows. Anyway. What, killer? Killer? Killer crosses your mind a lot when you start these shows. I should be more concerned. Well, Monday feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. But uh, yes. I, hang on. Has Apple released any hardware since then? Uh no, still feels like the keynote before last. Well, it wasn't really a keynote, was it? It's less what Apple it was would normally call a presentation. Keynote. It was the upfronts. Um, yeah, the, sort of the television marketplace upfronts. Here's what we're coming in the new season kind of stuff. So very different for Apple, but I enjoyed that. It was the week before keynote and all through the house. Not a retail store was stirring. Not even Except my home kit house. Yeah. Sent me my AirPod 2. <laughs> AirPods 2. Hey, how do you like those things? I absolutely love them. <laughs> There's a thing on Apple Insider sometimes with reviews where you know, just give a score, just so you can have a quick glance. What is it? And and I forgot to do that. And my editor was saying, well, I've read it. Obviously, you like it. Is it 4.5 4, 4. out of 5? Or is it 5? And I told him, 5 all the way. I adore these things utterly gorgeous in fact my pair are currently charging on my uh, anchor key charger right next to me and how have they changed your life immeasurably for the better i'm actually not the person i was just a few days ago uh yeah i'm actually a little conflicted because i love my home pod now uh, i splash out on a home pod and i couldn't really afford it now i splash out on airpods too i'm seeing a pattern here so is my accountant but uh, i've realized that uh when i'm in the office working the home pod kind of fills the room and i really like that but when i'm out or if i really need to concentrate the airpods kind of fill my head and uh, there's a particular track that i just yeah there's always one song that's really in my head and at the moment it's kate bush's cover of elton john's rocket man she's just re-released this and the original is very very old and i i love it to pieces on the old airpods but on the new I swear I could hear faults like the original must have been on, done on vinyl. It reminded me of some recording problems I used to have when I'd tape uh, vinyl onto it. And, and they're it, just not there on the old ones. Oh. It's it's interesting that you said that song because a minute ago when you were talking about it, I, I thought for sure you were referring to the lyric, I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, right. Well, I told you it's in my head. Wow. Okay, that's seeped. Into me. I mean, uh, I don't know that a lot of people know the song because it was released in 91, the Kate Bush version, and only just come out on a new album of hers. Uh, it's a reggae version of the Elton John and Bernie Tarpin uh, story. And it's just great. It's totally changed the song and it's very faithful to it. So love that. And it's also very clear on her voice, which is the reason I excused myself listening to it over and over on different headphones. The, the precision 
um, of hearing her little breath at the end of certain keywords. Uh, it's just exquisite listening, and particularly on the AirPods 2. I, I was told that they were better. I wasn't expecting uh, to really notice a difference as much. As intriguing. Very intriguing. Oh, and now, sorry, I should say the Hey Siri stuff. I thought, yeah, what? So, and now I've got it. Yeah, I I already had one of my AirPods set up so that I could double tap on it, do Siri and do the stuff now, and that was fine. And then I put this in, and you no longer have to do that. And because I was swapping back and forth, writing the feature, testing them out, I had the old AirPods in, and I couldn't remember how to get Siri. The new way, just talking, is so right that you just I couldn't remember. I had to stop. I froze on my stairs thinking, is it one tap? Is it two taps? Is it this one? Is it that one? And the end, I just put away. So that thing I was talking about a couple of weeks ago where, where I was saying that at some point you're going to be so used to the, the audio part yes. that needing a screen will fade into the background and you'll just access it for the spare uses you need it for as opposed to doing voice first all the time. Yeah, uh, you're still much further along this route than I am. Uh, but this whole ambient computing phrase that I heard last year and I've become quite addicted to, I really like it. Yeah, uh, you'll catch up to like, Yeah, uh, There was one point where, actually, I was playing the Kate Bush song far too loud because I was listening to the, the range of it. And it's absolutely loud. It was actually hurting my ears. And I was still able to quite casually say you know, the magic words, call up Siri and uh, beg it to turn the volume down. And I did. I loved that discontinuity you know normally with headphones on you shout but this time i knew i could practically whisper and it would do what it's doing not always by the way um i asked it i dictated a really long text um and after i'd finished uh siri just told me what the track was that i'd been listening to i was like i can't remember whoops. everything i just said whoops <laughs> but most of the time yes maybe we should have gone for a 4.9 and a half out of five knock it off for that but yeah you know, one of the, the things that I was thinking about after we had the, the chat and after we had the event was, you know, the Apple big. card. The Apple card is interesting. So we, we think of Apple as being the intersection of liberal arts and technology. Mm, absolutely. Yes. You know, supporting music, supporting television, supporting creativity, supporting publishing, supporting photography, right? In, in many, many ways, it adds up that, that, yes, that's exactly where Apple is. That's how you can define what's, is this an Apple product or is this not an Apple product? And Apple Pay never quite exactly fit into that. And the card squarely does not fit into that. Why don't you think it fits? I mean, I'm not disagreeing. I, I just mean, thought about it in these terms. I... I like Apple Pay for its security and convenience. Yes. I I like the idea of the Apple Card for the visibility that it gives into your finances. But and I, I think personal finance is one of those things that is not taught well and that people have horrendously bad habits for. But this card, there are a lot of good reasons to criticize it, right? Well, uh, I have the thing that I desperately don't want to look into my finances. You know, one has enough nightmares anyway. Uh, so I haven't thought about this. What's uh, the failing uh, with Apple Card? Well, so first of all, the, the first thing about it is that they said that it would have very low fees, right? Yes. Yeah. They said they said that they wasn't going to have any international fees, which is nice. They said that it wasn't going to have 
other, you know, that they, they, these, I forget all of the fees. They said it wasn't going to have these fees. And they also said it would have low interest rates. And they didn't really tell us what those were. And so people started looking into it. And the Apple Card webpage says variable APRs range from 13.24% to 24.24% based on creditworthiness. Okay. Those are um, not that low. That seems a lot. But those I don't know how not... that compares. I'm trying to remember. I don't tend to use my credit card very much. It's just like an emergency yeah. thing. I use debit cards and things here. Um, I don't know. What, uh, what's the average rate? I, I really don't know. Those Those are pretty much the average interest rate rates. The 24% is where you're very much not credit worthy. And 13% is not low. Okay. 5% is low. 13% is right about the median. It's it's nothing special. Okay. I suppose Apple was unlikely to stand there and say, it's nothing special, but uh, there must be some middle ground between that and low. Okay. Yeah, I mean, or or actually delivering on what low is, as opposed to, you know, interest rates in line with the rest of the industry. Yeah, that would have done it, wouldn't it? Good point. Okay, I wonder why they chose not to. Well, I would, sorry, that's a silly thing to say. They chose not to because it sounds better getting it, but it's still right. But uh, n- normally, you know, there the, the are other people have been comparing with the rewards offers, and the rewards offers are very much kind of meh you know there, there is no hotel or travel reward for it fine the two percent is the same as you'd get from a city double card well, so there's what that is but uh, i take nothing, it that's a u.s type of card it's a u.s city bank card that that gives you uh one percent when you purchase and one or one percent when you pay it off so you get your two percent okay. and you know, that's it's a little bit better from Apple and that you get it daily as opposed to when you get paid off. But it's um, nominally about the same thing. The the 1% from using the physical card is not competitive. And that makes sense. You know, there are people that are physical cards out there that offer one5 and 2% for using the physical card. But Apple wants to get you away from using the physical card. So they incentivize you to use the app. Fine. They incentivize you to use NFC, Apple Pay. But it's just on the whole not an amazing deal. It's the same as everyone else's deal. So what about the stuff you mentioned of uh, greater transparency of all your transactions? And I, I have to say, I, I, it sounded good to me, except for the fact that I was also very conscious it wasn't coming to the UK. I mean, we believe now that it is, but it isn't coming for a while. So I, you know, paid more attention to other things. So that's what really, did I miss that's, that? that's the best part is the transparency. First of all, there are line items that you get on your statement that make no sense, that you have no earthly idea what those actually are. And they're <laughs> going to use machine learning to tell you what those are. So that instead of the obscure name that the payment processor uses, you'll find out that it was in fact the, the petrol station that you were at, right? Or the, the, you know, the store that has no name that you remember, but it's, they, they lay it out for you and you can see it on a map and all stuff like that. So that'll be good. The other part is the categorization where they will go ahead and categorize your statement so that you can easily see where the bulk of your spending goes. And that's halfway there to helping guide people to better habits. The other thing that they do that is kind of guiding people to better habits is the figuring out how to pay it off and how to pay it off as opposed to staying in debt forever. Mm-hmm. Right? Because well, that's required to be on credit card statements here, what the payoff amount is and, you know, not just what the minimum payment is, but but how to 
pay it off over time faster, they will actually have the ability of the app to guide you to that. And that's a good thing. You know, the the numbers for people carrying credit card debt in America are not good. Um, the average is something like 5000 The median is more like $10,000 that the average person carries. And I know I'm getting that not exactly right because I'm just doing it off the top of my head after having looked at an article about it earlier this week. It, it's, but it is staggering. In that range. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could look it up, but I'm, I'm not going to waste anyone's time doing that. What we know is that there are plenty of people who carry debt. There are plenty of people who have never been formally educated in personal finance or how to avoid that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a real problem. Now, are those people the same people that are going to have iPhones and going to have Apple Pay set up and going to sign up for the Apple Card? Questionable. But mm-hmm. some percentage of them will. And maybe and those people Apple can, can then... Apple can only do what it can do. Uh, so at least it could do something for those people who do choose to. I see that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. But okay. it, it's it's just weird. You know, it doesn't... Normally when you're transferring a card, right? You can transfer your balance from one card to another. There's some incentive to do that. It doesn't feel like there's that strong an incentive to do that here. And yeah, especially with those interest rates like they are. Okay. You know, I I would have uh, I would have been kind of looking for an incentive to transfer a card because opening up a new line of credit like that is not a small thing either. No. Okay. So. So anyway, I'm I'm not entirely sold on the card. While we were look, watching the keynote, I was sure I was going to do it. Now that I see what it's more like, I'm I'm a little hesitant to jump on it right away. Uh, do I well, like I the offering? It's, yeah. I uh, didn't pay as great a deal of attention to it as I did, say, news and stuff, because I knew we weren't going to get it. But I'd come away with the impression that I would at least be very likely to sign up. And now you've totally talked me out of it. Thanks. Look at that. Talked you yeah. right out of it. Yeah. Okay. Right. Bummer. Oh, I know. Nice. And I'm the I guy mean, who keeps buying music stuff from Apple that he can't afford. So there we go. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I'm less hot on news for myself. I'm kind of interested in the TV services program. That's that's where I'm at. I think there's TV. some good shows. But I said to you, this is like the upfronts. Um, I'm used to that from writing about television and stuff. All the networks saying, these are the brilliant shows we've got coming. But at least when a network does it, they'll tell you when the show's going to be on. <laughs> Because they're usually doing it for advertisers. No, they're always doing it for advertisers. And that's something an advertiser needs to know. Uh, when's it going to be on? How are people going to see it? With broadcast television, they already know how they're going to see it. And I suppose now we know it'll be through Apple TV. But when exactly is a, is a big detail. Well, it'll be through Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, oh, yes. LG, Samsung, Vizio, Sony. I, I'm impressed by that. And actually, we've run a couple of stories. So skipping ahead in my list of things. The Roku CEO said that Apple TV Plus service had to be on rival platforms in order for it to grow and succeed. So Roku CEO Anthony Wood suggested that the decision to offer the app for smart TVs and rival streaming platforms was a way for Apple to work around the Apple TV set-top box's small market share. And he was on CNBC, and and he said it's purely behind... design. You know, It's purely due to... Apple finding the audience they need for the streaming services. Right. And he obviously knows more about it than I do. But you say Anthony Wood in the moment you said that. I remember him talking uh, quite candidly last year, year before, about how 
uh, Roku is not in the set-top business. It's in the um, viewer business. Uh, yep. It subsidizes and stuff. Uh, it's, I think he has a very particular take on the market, but that's vastly more informed than mine. So, yeah. Well, you know, Roku is an interesting thing because let's talk about Roku for a minute. So early, early on when Netflix realized that they were in the movie business, not the DVD my mail business, mm-hmm. they designed in-house a streaming box. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, right. Let me, tell you, let, me, let, me, let me tell you the story here. All right. It was a square box with little vents in the top and had a remote with a sort of circular set of arrows around its D-pad kind of thing. And it, uh, they, they, they'd worked on this thing. They'd got it going, and it was the Netflix box. And they got close to release on it, and they scratched their heads and stopped and said, wait a minute, if we release this thing, it puts us in competition with all of the DVD and Blu-ray players that can also play Netflix. We don't want to compete with all the different places that we basically are distributing our service. And so they handed that box off to a small company that was in the business of audio streaming. Mm-hmm. Your chair is squeaking like crazy. Sorry. Yep. It's impossible. I see where you're going with this. They yes. handed that box, they handed that box off to a very small company whose business at that time was entirely around streaming audio called Roku. Hmm. And so Roku got into the streaming box business solely because Netflix handed them the design and everything they needed to go. Can we just and the very first the, the very the first line. Roku box was a Netflix box, yes. Handed. I well, presume there was a sale involved. I here, didn't say but... whether or not there was money interchanging hands or how exactly that worked. But but basically the prototype box and the box that was released, identical, except that the original prototype box has a red label on the front. And the released box has a purple label that says Roku on it. Okay. Same plastic just, tooling and everything. Just curious to know whether Netflix kept uh, any kind of interest in this afterwards. Well, because Roku is the top selling box, I'm, isn't it? Or is that Amazon now? I'm not sure. Haven't looked. But the... What interestingly about it, Netflix after that, you know, they still kept it up to date for a long time. But the way that Netflix tests their stuff is on PlayStation primarily. When they want to introduce a new interface, they do it on a a PlayStation kind of thing. And all those people get the new interface and then everyone else gets the, the stable one. Okay. But it was interesting to me. Yeah. So Netflix had to use Roku to get their stuff more widely distributed and not compete with those distribution channels. And now Roku is saying Apple's doing the same thing, basically. I've not actually used a Roku set, but when I wrote about what he was saying, uh, I was working through, uh, I can't remember what it was now. Um, I learned about how you navigate through Roku and, and, and I found it really kludgy. And Netflix is substantially better, but Apple TV is an order of magnitude better still. So, um, why well, would, so... You know, the the Roku stuff is okay, right? But it's very much oriented around trying to navigate it like you found. What Roku does best is search, where if you're searching for a program, mm. they will surface it from the services that you have paid for first. Oh, that's good. Okay. 
I've told you before, one of the reasons I dislike the Apple TV app is it keeps chucking at me uh, recommendations from Amazon Prime. And I've realized it's because at one point I had a trial Amazon Prime thing. So telling it that I haven't, I can't remember now if I managed to pull it off or not. I just gave up in the end. Right. So Roku believes that Apple TV needs to be, TV Plus needs to be on rival platforms for growth and success. And to some extent, I agree with them. However, the, the thing that I still have difficulty with is the smart TV business, because smart TVs are almost universally terrible. In, in every instance where anyone's ever asked me, I've recommended getting a streaming box, any streaming box, versus what's built in. Because uh, the built-in stuff is, is generally horrible and never updated. Oh, you're right. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah, I can't even remember. I do have a smart TV. I have a Samsung something, and I've realized every now and again, I switch it on, and it tries to get me to use Amazon or something. I just go straight to Apple TV uh, on it, and I skip all of that stuff. So I've no idea if it's any good or not. But, you know, okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll see what people do and if people use it. And, of course, Apple will certainly know if people are using it, just in terms of, yeah. you know. That is, well, sorry, my mind went off in two directions there because I was reading different things. Um, one is, uh, I see Roku's point, but um, as this, it's the Oprah Winfrey quote, isn't it? They're in a billion, billion pockets, y'all. A billion pockets. I think they have quite a reach already, uh, but I obviously see what it means they need more. And the other one is, I heard a story that somebody, one of the channel providers, is saying that they expect to get some sort of data about people using the service, and that's very un-Apple. Well, I was going to talk about that just now. So, Randall Stevenson yeah. is AT&T's chief. Oh, right, yes. And what he was saying was interesting. Well, he was he was talking uh, with uh, CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin at the FinTech Ideas Festival on Wednesday. And he seemed sure that outside distribution deals with internet services like Roku and the Apple TV channels would include viewer information. And, and he said, access to customer data is critical and foundational to AT&T's overarching media distribution strategy. And, and he sort of heavily implied that all deals concerning Warner Media properties would have some kind of data sharing provision. And Sorkin has said, well, does that include Apple? And he said, Stevenson said, just pick the one you want to pick. We will have access to data. It's critical Christ. to everything we're trying to do. It's critical to the content creation algorithm. It's critical to advertising delivery. It's critical to marketing. It's really critical to everything we're trying to do. What is the matter with people today, though? Can't you just say yes, you know, rather than this? Okay. Well, first of all, Stevenson, Stevenson is a is is generally has been horrible as AT and T's chairman. He's he's been in every case where there's been something that could have possibly been a user benefit. His attitude has been: we have to do something terrible to the users. Users are using more data, throttle them. Users are using more data, bill them higher. In, in no case was there ever a case where Stevenson did something that actually had a strong user benefit. It's always been, what is the benefit to Randall Stevenson? Oh, uh, as opposed to what's the benefit to AT&T? Uh, so he's not a corporate man. He's, um, he's a man-man. That makes no well, sense. Well, it's, it's also a little bit about what's beneficial at AT&T. Now, Stevenson does things besides this. Stevenson is also the chairman of the Boy Scouts of America. 
which, you know, as our listeners will decide for themselves whether they feel that's a good or bad thing. But, you know, he's he's certainly given time of himself besides just doing what's in his own self-interest on his own. On his own. Uh, but, but this is interesting that despite Apple's uh, strong reassurances about privacy, that he's insisting that they'll have the data no matter what. Well, now, hang on. Let's, um, I can see a possible answer here. Depending on where the source of the material you're watching, I mean, literally the source at the moment you're watching it on Apple TV, is it coming direct from Apple servers or is it being relayed through them? In which case it's coming off of Warner's servers so they know what the traffic is. Is there a way that they can at least get some sort of brute forced data out of that? All right. So let's think of it like this. If you're using the HBO app, HBO Now, HBO Go, whatever, what have you, that can have a mm -hmm. client identifier in it just as much as a browser has a signature. You know, a browser will say, hey, I'm yeah. Safari, I'm running WebKit, this is my version, thank you. And may even say what, I, what OS version you're on, right? Yeah. Sure. So... Yes. The HBO app can say, hey, I'm HBO, this version, running on this version of an operating system. Give me the file. Give me the video. Right? So that's user data, sort of. Right? It's fairly anonymized. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a whole lot of customer information to it. it. does have a little bit of how long watched, what hours were being watched kind of thing. Yeah. So and and you, you could, you could even, sense, if you were really tricky, yes. say, keep a log of play and pause and fast forward and rewind and send me that too. <laughs> right. If you're using the HBO app, if you're using Apple TV and the video is resting on then Apple servers, then only Apple yeah. has that information. But if it's something like a live channel, I mean, Apple doesn't seem to want to do sports, but if no, no, sports, no, 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 no. They had the sports as part of their Apple. keynote demo with live sports scores. Did they? I suppose I just tuned out because it was support. Okay. Are they doing news? Mm. I don't believe they are, which is an interesting mix, isn't it? Given nah, what else they're doing. Mostly I've been seeing the entertainment channels and sports channels, but you know, they, they had live sport updates as a part of the TV interface. I know I'm really disinterested in sport, but I'm amazed how much I can tune it out. There's a new story going on here in the UK at the moment about some particular really important uh, man in, in the football business. And apparently he's been incredibly important here for 40 years. I, I'd never heard of him before yesterday and I've forgotten his name today. I've just, I don't know what it is with me and sport. I'm just, yeah. I was once briefly on working on a sports radio show, so um, yeah, that must that's have a story you. for another day around a coffee. Yeah, it, I uh, did not contribute to the success <laughs> of that show. No. How do we get there? Uh, does uh, AT and T or anybody get actual hard data from Apple? Um, do you know, this isn't just a technical question; is it? it speaks to the uh, whole ethos of security and privacy. Apple are doing and I suppose there's a line somewhere there must be some information well you know the, the minimal is, is, is if files are not hosted at Apple right Apple's not going to be hosting HBO files that's just weird so at some point an Apple device makes a request of a stream at an HBO server but that's about it Right. Um, Apple will host all its own shows. Um, I'd be very surprised if Apple releases any ratings data 
for them. Um, has it? I don't know if it ever has for um, carpool karaoke. Don't know that it ever either. has. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe Plans of the Apps was actually a bigger success than we think. Seems unlikely. I only made it through one episode, but that could just be me. So. Yeah. I want to talk to you for a moment about Captera. Now, we all have that friend who's the first person to try things, right? <laughs> yes. For example, you, William, are the first of my friends to try AirPods 2. Okay. Right. So, you know, whether they're super trendy or more of a guinea pig, when you're making a choice, it's always nice to hear from someone who's been there and done that. And choosing the right software for your business is no different. Read thousands of real software reviews to help you choose the right software for your business on captera.com slash Apple Insider. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. With over 750,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. You can search more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email management to email marketing to yoga studio management software. And no matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. Visit captera.com slash Apple Insider for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. Captera.com slash Apple Insider. Captera, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Apple Insider. Captera, software selection simplified. It's funny how you get used to things, isn't it? Um, like web addresses, uh, you read that out the way everybody knows you would. Everybody who heard it knows exactly where to go. But it has that word slash in the middle. And every time uh, I hear about a new uh, UK government page, it's always something like UK government slash healthcare. And I feel like they're telling me something. Yeah. Well, that's that's certainly something that governments do attempt to do. Yes. yes. I'm sorry. You just put me down that little line. Uh, I like this software uh, search stuff. There's so much out there. I, I enjoy looking into it, but that's uh, when you haven't got the time. Well, I mean, the, the issue is is do? these app stores, right? If they're just catalogs, then you have no ability to find out what's actually appropriate for your needs. So then you start adding things like reviews. Well, how are reviews any good? Well, you have to have a large number of them that are credible from people who've purchased and used it, right? So then you end up with 750,000 reviews, which is very helpful. And then we start talking about the kinds of things that Apple's talking about, which are how do you surface good recommendations? You know, do you use machine learning to help you try and find the right thing? What's going to be appropriate based on things you've done in the past? You know, it's, it's very difficult. And it's my hope that these app stores all get better based on these kinds of recommendations. You know, that's some of this thing we were talking about with uh, Apple Arcade is the notion that by, by virtue of subscribing to the arcade plan that a there's more good content and b it's easier to see and select and find things actually i'm glad you brought this up apple arcade i didn't zone out the way i did with sports but I, i'm not a gamer either i just uh over the week since hearing about it I, i'm more intrigued than i was uh when apple talks about games i just think it's not for me um but this time what sort of games are on offer? I, I, do you need to be a really hardcore gamer to enjoy this? No. So that's what was intriguing about these is that these are the kinds of games that might not be possible if it weren't for a paid ecosystem with Apple supporting these developers. 
that this these are games that aren't necessarily shoot 'em up games. They aren't first person shooters. They aren't they they aren't uh, endless runners necessarily. That they're games that are more art form. And okay, so Alto's Journey and um, well, Alto is not oh, Alto's more endless runner game. in some ways than than the um, than these. These are more artful, right? Not actually heard the phrase endless think, think runner about, before. It think about like something like Monument Valley, for example, or Monument Valley Two. Monument Valley—that's the one I'm trying to remember. That's beautiful. I love that. Right yes. now, that that is a game that I would say is both puzzle, story, and art. Yes. And it it was a paid app. You paid once, you got the full thing, right? Yes. And then along the way they you, you paid again and got more levels when they released more levels a year later kind of thing but for the most part it was a, a one fee and you got it kind of thing mm. and and that's really what's had a difficult time surviving in this very much free to play or freemium with ads or freemium within apps subscriptions or purchases kind of model and so that's what's being allowed to th- flourish here with this apple arcade program okay so actually, does the opposite apply? If you are a hardcore gamer, then this isn't of interest to you. Potentially. I mean, obviously, it depends on what kind of a gamer you are and what appeals to you. But my thought is that at the heart of it, people make a mistake by making a distinction about hardcore gamer, not gamer, casual gamer, things like that. Because really, at the heart of it, games, even shoot 'em up games, have a backstory, have cutscenes have production values that these things are art and if you're at all interested in story and entertainment then there is a game for you and it's a matter of of that game finding you as its audience i don't in any way mean to knock games it just doesn't happen to interest me but uh i know i get a lot of people who are sports fans telling me that there's greater drama on the football field than there is in a film and i'm thinking yeah not so much let let me put it to you like this um interactive storytelling yes okay for excuse me for a long time we had storytelling and then somewhere around the 80s, we got Choose Your Own Adventure Stories as books. Mm, I'm not a fan of where this is going, but and okay, then, yes, we and have these And then things. off and on, we'd had fits and starts of interactive movies. And that sort of culminated with where Netflix was going with Charlie Brooker's Bandersnatch, Black Mirror. Interactive storytelling. And radio shows before. And radio um, shows before it. Very that let you, you know, change this frequency to get this part of the story and all that sort of stuff. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't like it, but it's all there. Well, let me tell you why I don't like it then very quickly. Um, you have things like this is uh, boils down to things like um, the movie Clue, where there are three different endings, I think, or something, and a different murder in each one. That's, that presumes that a story can have a different thing bolted on at the end, that the murderer is the thing revealed at the end. No, the murderer is riddled all the way through. The reasons for something happening, the drama is the journey for it. It's not just a Lego brick kind of storytelling. And in the end, when it becomes very interactive, uh, why am I playing somebody else's interactive story instead of telling my own stories? Yeah, Tell me a story or don't. The Clue movie... 
they were limited in part by technology of the time, right? They had a VHS tape that they could distribute on and they could play the ending sequentially. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. With something like Bandersnatch, they can have multiple story branches, multiple trees all the way through. And so that murder and the reasons for it can change with each decision all the way through. And it's a much more varied thing. And so you really do get unique st- storytelling all the way through it. Now, I can't tell you the name of this, but there is a, an extremely well-known British detective drama uh, that runs in two-hour blocks at a time where five drafts into the story, I, I believe they got a better actor and they want to do him or her a better part. And so the writer was required to change the murderer. Uh, and it was far too late in the production to do much else. Um, and this is why I heard about it. The writer was just complaining to me about how dreadful it all was. Um, I don't think... I, most of the time, people who are happy with interactive storytelling, I don't think they're really that hot on telling, telling stories. Now, I have friends who work in video games, and I think they do it very well. But there is a line somewhere, the assumption that interactive is automatically good uh, is a fallacy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a great story is a great story. Um, I would say that the, the notion that interactive is automatically better is a fallacy. But when writers set down intentionally to write within these contexts that it could come out well, it could come out bad. It depends on the writer and what their aims are and whether or not they achieve them. But I think that it's too early to count out interactive as something worthwhile. You know, it's it's one thing if a writer is forced to do something late in production and it's bolted on. It's something else if you sit down from a clean sheet and say, this is what we're going to set out to do. Do you remember there was something the BBC were uh, quite boastful about um, maybe three or four years ago now about how they were going to go down the line of incredibly interactive television that whoever was watching would get a different uh, story that was particularly suited to their taste, like an ultimately based on Amazon's, you know, if you like this, you'll like this, that they would adjust all of that. And they went on and on about how brilliant this was going to be. And nobody in the entire BBC ever pointed out that quite often two people are watching the television set at the time and they had no way of coping yeah. with that at all. I think sometimes really drama dramatists and technologists we don't always meet in the middle the way we I should. think that there's also something to shared stories, right? You know, you want to be able to talk with people what, about what you saw. And if they saw something entirely different, then you, you lose <laughs> yes, that communal shared story part of it. Yes, I'm told of that. That's true. No, I mean, it used to be things uh, would air at a specific time that the next day you could talk about them at the water cooler at work kind of thing. And in this modern mm-hmm. era, we work from home, we work remote, we don't go into work, there is no water cooler. Um, all, all these things have changed. But at the same time, we, we do like having some shared experiences, some shared touch points that we can all talk about. Just as you knew Rocket Man and I did too. Well, uh, yesterday somebody texted me saying, asking had I seen the latest Game of Thrones. And well, actually, I've never seen Game of Thrones. So I replied back well, saying no. The latest isn't like, out yet either. <laughs> dropped stone cold. The latest that this person had seen. Uh, I don't know how I was supposed to know what that was. But I mean, this is a, season eight is story. coming, but season eight is not released yet. So Season eight. I've missed seven yes. seasons of Game of Thrones. It's probably too late then for me. I should not just forget about it. 
Okay. I've still I've seen the pilot to Lost. That looks really good. Eh, I didn't like Lost. I know a lot of people did, but I, it wasn't for me. Now, that was one where it felt like J.J. Abrams lost the plot partway through. Oh, was he involved all the way? I know, obviously, it was exactly right, but um, it's just, you set it up and you move on to something else. I like J.J. Abrams and uh, Sarah Brailsford. I hadn't heard of her before. The Little Voice show, the kind of New York music comedy drama one. That actually might be my favorite of the shows that are coming. I mean, it's the one I'm intrigued by the most. I don't know. I, I was... There, there were a few that I was interested in watching. The one about uh, immigrant stories was a good one for me. The one about uh, the blind setting was an interesting... Yeah, oh, that was see. an interesting premise for me. Uh, by Stephen Knight. I like the idea. Yeah, I interviewed Stephen Knight uh, a, a while ago. I really liked the guy, actually. Very impressive yeah. writer. Oh, here's a fun fact about Stephen Knight, co-creator of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Really? So, yeah. So, uh, I imagine that set him up for life. Then, really, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? The creators of that show did. Um, I think there were three of them. Nice. But he was one. You know, and we've been talking about TV and controlling TV, and you can clean up your remote control center clutter with Control Center by Cavo. Control Center simplifies your home theater so you can control everything connected to your TV with one easy-to-use remote with voice control. Plug in your streamer, your sound system, your cable, satellite, even game console, and Control Center by Cavo does it all. Don't waste time fiddling with different remotes or weeding through messy search results to get the content you want. One universal voice remote controls it all. So you just say what you want to watch and let Control Center handle the rest. In fact, you can enjoy every second of couch time and easily switch between content without moving a muscle. Let Control Center take your at-home entertainment experience from stressful to simple and enjoy what you want, when you want it, with ease. Shop now and get 40% off Control Center with promo Apple Insider. That's $59.95, 40% off regular pricing of $99.95. There is a service plan required, and the first 45 days are free. Control Center is available at Cavo, C-A-A-V-O dot com, and Best Buy. Control Center by Cavo, one remote that does it all. The Federal Trade Commission ordered Comcast, Google, AT&T, and others to share full details on their data collection practices. Oh, I didn't know about this. Um, you mean they, the U.S. Okay, Federal Trade Commission issued letters to all of these service providers, AT&T, Comcast, so forth, ordering them to detail their respective data collection practices. Now, this wasn't the TV side of things. This was the Internet provider side of things. And the goal is to better understand Internet service providers' privacy practices in light of the evolution of telecom companies into these vertically integrated platforms that also provide ad-supported content. So okay, sounds AT&T, okay, so Comcast, far. Google Fiber, so T-Mobile, and Verizon have to identify not just what, how, and why data is collected, but also how long it's kept, whether it's shared with third parties, and what the internal access policies are like. They also have to explain if and how they notify customers about data use and what options are in place for letting people read, correct, or delete information. Now, this this comes on the heels of four major U.S. wireless carriers, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, and Sprint, and the controversy last year when Motherboard revealed that it was possible to pay a bounty hunter $300 to track down a smartphone just based on these third-party data aggregators. I totally missed that. Wow. Okay. 
Oh, there's a st- well, we've got a story right there. Okay. This reminds me, it sounds bitter to sound like GDPR that uh, Europe's just gone through and it's a good thing. So this all sounds great. And all of these nice uh, companies are handing over that information. Well, right I mean, yeah? they, they've talked about winding this stuff down in the past. They talked about it doing it in 2017. They talked about doing it in 2018. Here we are in 2019 and the Federal Trade Commission is sending a letter because they haven't really made a whole lot of progress. Okay. And and what happens mm. is that these letters could be a precursor regulatory action, but they have traditionally shied away from enforcing data privacy with ISPs. Yeah. What we don't know is in the past, ISPs were more or less governed by the FCC. But with the end of oh, yes. the net neutrality rules, the FCC said, that's not us. That's the Federal Trade Commission. So here it is. This is the Federal Trade Commission. Let's find out if they do anything about it or not. Okay. I was having a lovely time to mention net neutrality. All right. You know what? I, I only can tell you what's going on. I can't necessarily tell you what the results will be. Okay. You can build up to it, though. You can... Um ease me into things like this but you didn't I, no, you're just straight in there with the headline Fine. i just Fine. put you no, in no, the boiling not. pot that's what happens right i'm in britain during brexit the water's quite <laughs> hot enough already <laughs> the butterfly keyboard anyway the butterfly keyboard what do you think about that yes uh, I'm different to you. I actually like it. I mean, I've used other keyboards that I like more, um, and I find a peculiar difference between different size MacBooks. Uh, but overall, I, I, in the few hours I've had using them, I like uh, the butterfly keyboard right. just fine. But that's well, not what you think. You're pointing out that it doesn't the, work. The difficulty is not that it does or doesn't work, because it certainly works when you first receive your MacBook. The issue is that for a number of users, after having used it for some time, keys stop functioning properly. Well, that's just being fussy, really, uh, isn't it? Well, no? you know, when I pointed you to an article written by Joanna Stern at the Wall Street Journal, you mm-hmm. said that you had a hard time reading the article. Yeah, I have a lot of time for her. I actually have a lot of time for the journal. I just, I actually missed the fact that you can, uh, you're going to say this, haven't you, that she wrote without uh, E's and R's. And actually, that's what I thought, but she hasn't. She's got a button there to switch the E's and R's back on. Um, without spotting that, and actually, she couldn't have been plainer about how it is. I still managed to miss it. It was a very tedious read. With them switched on, I see her point, and I, I couldn't possibly disagree. Oh, except for one thing. I used to have um, a 2009 MacBook with a keyboard that everybody says is brilliant. And I lost two keys. Funnily enough, I know R R and Q vanished on it. And I couldn't afford to replace it. So I used an external keyboard. Um, actually, I also used Keyboard Maestro to remap uh, the Q key to something else. You, I mean, hardly what you'd want to do. But yay for Keyboard Maestro, which is a... Right, but but this highlights that there is, in fact, a problem that it is not just something that can be hand-waved across and and forgotten about. And Mm -hmm. it was was such that Apple responded to it. Apple went ahead and and issued an apology of sorts. 
Oh, of sorts. But then I've missed this bit as well. What did well, Apple the, say? We're mostly sorry. The apology basically suggested that it was a very small number of users that are having this problem and that um, that it's not that big a deal. That is so British. This is a stereotypical here that if you go to complain about something, you're told, well, no one else has complained before. And like that means you shouldn't. Yeah. So I mean, and, and that's that a typical Apple prize. response is that even when the support forms are blowing up with people reporting the issue, Apple is, we've never heard of this before. Right? I mean, Apple must have fantastically better data than anybody else can possibly have about their own machine. So they'll know the actual failure rate, but they still, they can't not know. Uh, so, yes. Okay. You've said to me before that they have to be careful how they phrase an apology because otherwise it can open them up to class action yeah, lawsuits. that's true too. Things. Is, that, is this the no, same I'm case? I'm not entirely that? certain, um, but they, they've avoided talking about any sorts of improvements made to the keyboards or the issue as a whole other than stating that it affects a very small percentage of customers. Uh, and, and you know, we here at Apple Insider have been tracking keyboard failure rates as best we can since 2016. And we've tried to get the same data going back to 2012 for MacBook Pros. And not saying mm. our data is perfect, but, but overall, the total number of service calls seems lower for the 2016 to 2017 MacBook Pro in their first years of service versus the older models. Like I'm not in any way involved uh, in this, as you can tell from how little I know about it. But I am aware of what uh, Apple Insider has done in the past about keyboard research and any Apple research. It's really thorough. So I, I believe that data. Yeah. Right. So the question then is, if that's the first year, what about the, the years beyond? Mm. Mm. Is, is a valid question. Well, so what we wrote on the site was that uh, the keyboard failure percentages for the 2016 and 17 are unchanged from first year and beyond. And that there's there's been no surge of people seeking repair after the repair program launched. So yeah. the 2018 model has a smaller data set. Failure rate on that is lower than the 2016 and about the same as it was in the 2017. So it's entirely possible that Apple is being clear and saying, yeah, it is a small number of people affected. That doesn't make it any more difficult or change the fact that the keyboard's developed a reputation, whether it's earned or not. Yeah, it doesn't matter if there's only one person that has a problem. If you are that one person, it's a 100% failure rate and an expensive one, yes. I mean, I, I cannot well, conceive of how difficult it is to manufacture these things at all, let alone in volumes. So I'm not surprised there are some problems, but then it comes down to how Apple Well, you say that, but there are other laptop manufacturers who manufacture tons of laptops in volume. Oh, I mean, but I'm Apple's, Apple's is the one that's yeah. developed the reputation here. Now, Apple, true. Apple's small percentage of users adds up to tens of thousands of complaints and service calls. Yeah. So they should totally be complaining. Yes, they're totally right to be a loud group about it. It, it is a problem. It is worth discussing. It's worthy of a repair program, and it should be extended to the 2018 keyboard as well, if you ask me. But it won't necessarily impact every machine everywhere. So sure. that's that's the upshot here is if you've got a problem in your 2016 or 2017 MacBook Pro, go get it fixed. If you've got a 2018 and you have a problem, you're under warranty. Go get it fixed. Right. If you have a problem with your keyboard, 
go get it fixed. Or go my route and have a combination of keyboard maestro and external keyboards. You're welcome. Actually, just buy keyboard maestro for any excuse at all. Love that app. Sure you do. I know you do. So here's the thing. We've been talking in the past about Qualcomm. Yes. Um, You love you some Qualcomm, don't you? Oh, I, 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 you know, get up in the morning and I hope they've done something else. I mean, I'm, I'm interested. Obviously, I'm just aware that you know it so well uh, that I, I feel every time I hear about something, oh, Victor will know about that. What have they done now? Well, mm. the International Trade Commission, the U.S. International Trade Commission, made a a decision on Tuesday based on the recent lawsuit ruling where Apple's found to have infringed on Qualcomm's technology patents. And as Apple infringed on the patent, the judge said it would be acceptable for Qualcomm to be granted their import ban request. Oh, okay. Which would mean, if that were to come to pass, right, that Apple would be barred from importing some models of iPhone into the United States. Right, yeah, but just the U.S. I mean, you know, the home market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it didn't come to pass, presumably, from the way you phrased that, because I haven't heard of it happening. So what happened? Well, what happened is that that, that didn't actually come to pass. So that would be frustrating and annoying. But the U.S. International Trade Commission, in a final determination on Tuesday, nullified the bid for an import ban and they they found that uh, the leveraged patent covering power efficiency technology to be invalid. So there's a notice posted to the ITC website. The commission sided with Apple's reading that a key claiming Qualcomm's patent is invalid based on prior art. You did, and I feel quite rashly, use the word final there. This is the American legal system. Isn't there always a higher authority or an appeal or something? Well... It, it depends on the kind of case and all, all that. But as far as the ITC, that that is a final ruling. All right, good. Some actual conclusion in something. Okay. I'm just, I've come become used to every case with Apple going on for so long that. And some parts of this will. Some parts of this absolutely uh, will. But it's. But it's for now. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this decision concurs with the ruling from Administrative Law Judge Thomas Pender, who ruled in September an initial determination regarding the patent and two other Qualcomm patents that, that the Qualcomm claimed and were infringed. And so the Administrative Law Judge found potential infringement of the 490 patent, which was the subject of today's final determination. Apple was absolved of impinging on one of the other patents, two of the other patents, the, the 558 patent and the 936 patent. Pender recommended against an exclusion order, saying such action would be counter to the public interest. So what he's saying is the import ban is not in the public interest. Okay, that seems okay. reasonable. So that's where we've arrived at. Now, there's still a bitter legal struggle, and that's going on around the globe. Right. There, there have already been some findings of damages, right? Mm-hmm. But, but it's going to just have to uh, sort itself out around the world as we go. So we're going to keep reporting on this case. But as of now, this part is final. 
there's a full commission review on the initial determination that's slated for July. So this is going to keep going on for a while. You'll hear from more about this. Is anybody keeping score about uh, the latest match? Well, that's just it is because there are different kinds of cases and different kinds of infringement, different kinds of things going on around the world. It's a little hard to keep track of it all. So we're basically just going to record it as it goes. Okay. Right. I'm not regretting asking that question at all. But, okay. Not at all. Next time on Qualcomm Watch. Yes. Next time on Qualcomm Insider. Yes. <laughs> well, William, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I live on Twitter at W Gallagher. I love getting emails to william at appleinsider.com. Actually, I don't like getting iMessages. I've had a couple this week. I leave messages on uh, over Do Not Disturb, so I've been woken up a couple of times now uh, with messages and things. So I don't like that, but emails to Apple Insider, william at appleinsider.com. Can't get enough of them. Love those. I'm at vmarks on Twitter. I'm Victor at appleinsider.com. We will be back next week. Yes, we will. And William will continue to play Rocket Man. Oh, you bet I will. I know it. Burning out here alone. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, William is burning up out there alone. I want to remind you that you can clean up your remote control clutter with Control Center by Cavo. Plug in your streamer, sound system, cable, satellite, or game console and control everything connected to your TV with one easy-to-use voice-controlled remote. Shop now and get 40% off Control Center with promo code Apple Insider. That's $59.95, 40% off regular pricing of $99.95. Service plan required. First 45 days are free. Control Center is available at caavo.com and Best Buy. Control Center by Cavo. One remote that does it all. <laughs>